welcome to the Families Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families of young children with a developmental delay or disability. We aim to build parents' knowledge, skills and confidence in navigating early childhood services and supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their stories. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. We're a membership-based organisation that's proudly worked alongside families, practitioners and other organisations that provide supports for young children with disability or developmental delay and their families for over 35 years. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Hello, welcome to Family Voices. I'm Kerry Ball and I'm here today with Beck. Hi, Beck. Great to meet you. Hi, same. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, no, it's our pleasure. It's really great to, to have you come and, and share your family story. Why don't we get just get straight into it, Beck, and you yeah, tell us a bit it. about your family? Okay, so I have two uh, boys. I've got a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, um, and they both have disabilities. Um, we live with my husband as well um, here in Melbourne, and they both attend a special, a special school in our area, um, which we have just started them in last year. Uh-huh. And presumably that's been a little bit disrupted because of COVID. Yeah, unfortunately it has. Can we backtrack right mm-hmm. back to uh, maybe when your first son was born and yep. his early days as an infant? Can you tell us about that time? Sure can. It's a bit of a long one. Um, so Caden, who is turning 11 in January, um, he had lack of oxygen when he was born because he got stuck. He had what they call shoulder dystocia. Um, so he wasn't breathing for five minutes. So they did have to actually revive him. Um, it was a really scary experience and they did the whole, you know, code blue and all that. Um, yeah. So he ended up having seizures because of that lack of oxygen um, the first night. So we then transferred to the Royal Children's. And we, yeah, so we followed him to the Royal Children's. I had to discharge myself. Um, but they got the seizures under control within the first kind of day. Um, they then did an MRI scan just of his brain just to see what was going on. Um, and he did have quite significant damage to his occipital lobe and the right temporal lobe from the birth. So that was a huge shock. That was something we did not um, anticipate happening as no one really would. Um, my husband and I were quite young at the time. We were 21. We were uneducated. We didn't really look into this side of um, having babies. It was all, you know, like it is in the movies. So that was like a really rude awakening. Um, but, yeah, we had a really good support system around us. Our parents have always been really good. Um, and, yeah, so he spent about 10 days at the Royal Children's and then we transferred back to the hospital that we started at just to kind of get a bit of normality. Um, and to establish feeding and try and do all the normal stuff that we'd missed out on. Um, Before we got discharged, he became quite unwell with a fever and he um, he was diagnosed with meningitis, um, two types of meningitis, bacterial and fungal. 
Um, apparently one of them is quite rare. I can't remember which one it is. Um, so we then went off to Monash Children's Hospital and, yeah, we, ha- we had to stay, you know, a, a few more weeks there, do the whole antibiotics um, and get him and get him better. Um, so it's been a bit of a rough start right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, um, rough, rough start for him. Yeah, and, poor thing. And really, yeah. really rough start for you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Mm. And Beck, you said you're uneducated, but 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 you're talking about <laughs> you're talking about this whole thing about being a parent and yeah, uh, yeah. being a parent of now a sick bub um, yeah. and and managing all of that. I'm assuming. Yeah, well, being you know quite young parents, we didn't really we didn't have friends around us that. Yeah. had even started having kids at that age. My husband and I met when we were 17. So we'd, you know, we'd been together for quite a few years um, and everyone was still kind of partying at our age. Yeah. So we were kind of in it on our own. Um, we just had our parents to rely on and having an unwell baby, our parents couldn't even relate to that. Um, so we kind of just had to navigate it on our own and just kind of be guided by, you know, specialists and doctors and, Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested in that about the the learning you did along the way. Um but uh you you sounds like you had a good support network. You said you had pa- your parents and other people around even though your yeah. your friends were all still out partying at yeah, the time. Yeah. 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 Beck, can you tell us a bit about what happened from there about um Caden's health and development in the pr- preschool years? Yep. So Getting back to the hospital stage, we were pretty much told that he most likely won't be able to see or he won't be able to walk because of the damage that was done to his brain. It looked quite a scary picture when you looked at it on an MRI. Um, Lucky for us, he was like a little miracle and he, you know, walked at about a year and a half. He never, early on, he never had any problems with his vision. Um, Still to this day, doesn't wear glasses or anything like that. So we've been really lucky. Um, a few of his milestones and things at the start, you know, were a bit delayed. Um, he, you know, he has what's called microcephaly. So his his brain um, grows really quite, quite slowly. Um, so it's not always noticeable that he does have a small head because kids kind of, when they're growing up, kids are meant to have like a bigger head, like, you know, mm. proportion with their body. So it's kind of getting to the stage that maybe he, you know, his head is looking a little bit on the smaller side, but nothing that would just stand out. Um, but that's something that's always followed up with, um, with, you know, pediatrician appointments. Um, he did have quite a severe language delay at the start. Um, he still, he still is definitely a little bit behind where he should be with his speech, but it's nothing even to be concerned about anymore. It's just, it's just him, you know, it's a little bit quirky. You might miss a few a few words out of a sentence, but it makes complete sense to everyone. Um, yeah, but overall, you know, we did all the physio, the OT, um, which is still, you know, ongoing. Um, yeah, and he's he's in a really great position, so mm. much better than what, what it could have been. Yeah. Oh, that's so great to hear after such a rough start. And yeah. you call him a miracle, but it sounds like he really just made uh, terrific gains over those years yeah well they did say that you know if if you're going to get some sort of form of brain damage it's better to actually happen when you're a baby when your brain hasn't fully developed and it can kind of choose its own path to go down if it happened to someone older like myself or you you know it, it would you know really make a huge difference on our life like it'd, it'd be a really bad situation so in a way it was lucky that it happened at the start but yeah something that yeah. you definitely don't want to happen at all 
Yeah, it really is that early stage of development, isn't it, when all those neural pathways are growing in the brain and the baby's brain has such capacity for yeah. growth and development, which is what you were seeing. Yeah. yeah. Given given good environment and good interactions with other people, babies' brains yeah. have got enormous capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what about your second son, Beck? Okay, so our second son, Mason, who turns eight next month, um, we actually saw a very similar pattern with him that we did with Caden at the start. Um, so he was very late to reach his milestones. He actually had um, he was pretty much double jointed and I think what they called hypertonia. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like hypermobile. So his joints were very floppy. So he didn't actually crawl at all um, and he didn't walk until he was two. Um, so, yeah, that was a bit different. That's something that Caden didn't have. Um, he also had the severe language delay, which I think is actually um, more severe in our younger son. Um, and he's also just been diagnosed with autism level three and ADHD, um, which he was diagnosed last year during lockdown when when I was tried, trying to homeschool him. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that he actually has very similar problems to what Caden does because it is kind of like maybe they both were just meant to be like this and Caden's brain damage was just kind of the start of the story when mm-hmm. he could have still had these developmental delays anyway possibly yeah. um, because it seems to be something that they share. So ah, so they, they, they really share some some characteristics, although yeah. now it sounds like they've both got different diagnoses, if you like, that you've yes. got um, yeah. one, one of your sons with a diagnosis of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD yeah. and also autism, but but Caden more in relation to language delay? Yeah, I mean, Caden, if I was to go ahead and get him a diagnosis, I know that he is on the spectrum. He definitely has um, like a sensory processing disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that definitely comes on the spectrum. Um, it was just more the fact of we had such big behaviour issues with Mason that we needed to get a diagnosis. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And it's quite a um, an expensive route to go down to get a diagnosis. So yeah. we did it for Mason to kind of help with NDIS funding and also to get answers. Um, so it it's still might be something that we do go down with Caden, but I just don't find it quite necessary at the moment. Yeah, uh, it, it, that's yeah. a really interesting question, isn't it, about why why um, we all make decisions about seeking a diagnosis or not. And um, for Nathan, it was important in terms of getting Mason, answers yeah. and, and um, NDIS funding, but for Caden, not so because you already understood his development and what was happening. Yeah. 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 So similar boys, I, I want to hear about your boys. What, what kind of little boys are they now? What are they like? Um, what are they into? So they are quite different um, in a lot of aspects. So the oldest Caden, he He's really into, um, at the moment, he's into YouTube. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But not just watching YouTube. He wants to be the star of YouTube. <laughs> so we've let him start his own little YouTube channel. Um, so he makes his videos and then we watch them and tell him yes or no if it's allowed to go on YouTube. Um, and he has to kind of like follow all the rules and guidelines that we set for him. Um, and he just loves to kind of make little educational videos. Um, I had to film him riding his bike one day and he was giving all these hot tips on, you know, how to cross the road and how to look for cars and 
how to, you know, let the person walking in front of you know that they're about to come up behind them. And, um, yeah, so he's quite cluey like that. He, you know, likes mm. to know how things work and, and he's really quite confident. Um, we started him this year in a singing, dancing, acting class um, and that's been so good for him. But, unfortunately, um, with all the lockdowns, he hasn't actually been able to go much and he didn't get to do the concert, which he was really excited mm. for. But, yeah, no, he's... He always has to be the star and everything. So, yeah, yeah. it's really nice oh, to see wonderful. that. Yeah. Is, are his YouTube clips up publicly available? Yeah, um, he's just changed the name to Caden and Mason's because, right. he has, because he has had his brother in one of them. So he was like, I think it's fair that I share the name with his brother, which was really nice. Yeah, how lovely. Um, yeah, so he's only got a few, like, subscribers and viewers, but he, <laughs> he did at the very start. He was obsessed and he would, you know, put it on the TV and watch the views go up all the time and he didn't realise that it's it's him that's making the views go up every time he watches it. But uh, we, we didn't have the heart to tell him that. <laughs> but I bet you're subscribers to it. Of course. <laughs> no, I am, but he's made me. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that's really nice to watch. Um, and then Mason, he's just a ball of personality. He's, yeah, he's funny, he's quirky. Yeah, I mean, if you catch him on a good day and he's in a really good mood, he's, yeah, he'll make you laugh. Um, he's really cute he's really loving and they both are they're both so loving like we're so lucky with how sensitive and cuddly um, you know they're not like the real boisterous kind of boys they're just they're really nice and you know one day they'll be mummy's boy one day they'll be you know daddy's boy Um, yeah Mason's just really into the wiggles he's been Uh obsessed with the wiggles since I can remember Um, and Caden was was the same but it did kind of wear off towards maybe maybe age six or something with Caden. Mason is still almost eight, absolutely obsessed with them, um, has a Wiggles room. Everything is the Wiggles. We just bought him a Wiggles bed on the weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, he's absolutely obsessed with the Wiggles uh-huh. and we actually got to meet them, um, I'm trying to think it was, if it was the start of this year, um, when they did their concert, we actually upgraded to the meet and greet tickets. And it was, yeah, like an absolute dream come true for him. It was so, yeah, it was really cool. Oh, well, I've made a lot of a lot of children happy, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've yeah. been reading a bit about uh, the upsets with uh, Emma leaving and uh, children yeah. uh, um, trying to manage that. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. we tried not to tell Mason that morning when the news broke, um, but his bus driver told him because they catch um, a bus to school, like the pro- you know, like the private yeah. school bus. Um, and he said to me when I picked him up, he said, Mum, I've got some sad news. And I was like, uh-oh. He's like, Emma's leaving. And I was like, oh, no. And then, like, within a second he he was distracted and forgot about it. So he's, he's been fine. <laughs> oh, well, it's really nice to hear a bit about what your boys are into. They sound uh, gorgeous. They sound a delight. Uh, Beck, I'm interested in hearing a bit about um, the early days, you said that you got support from physiotherapists mm-hmm. and others um, when you were talking about Caden. What was your yep. experience like with early intervention for the boys? Yep. So um, so both of them, especially Caden at the start, um, definitely had physio. I remember it is a little bit kind of um, blurry in my mind, like the memories of where it all kind of started. But I do know that we did physio, I think, with Caden when he was a baby and then that kind of, they put us on the list for early intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and we kind of got involved with children, uh, what is it, specialist children's services, mm-hmm. um, and they used to come to our home. So we had a speech therapist, an OT and a physio, um, kind of all at different times. Um, so I, I know that we definitely had speech and OT at the same time, but then sometimes we needed physio when problems would kind of pop up. Um, but we've been really lucky in the sense with physio that if problems had popped up, it was just, you know, like um, it, it wasn't too long of a, a situation. It was just like exercises we needed to do to fix the problem um, and it was never ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, Mason was the same. Um, we actually had the same OT and same speech therapist come out. So they, they both kind of have always just ah. Yeah. shared specialists so it was never yeah. you know like um a bunch of people it was always just a really um yeah comfy kind of people that we just we knew yeah um and I know that Mason definitely did a lot of groups a lot of um OT groups mm-hmm. which was really good they were always held at like a community center mm-hmm. kids he's you know around the same age mm-hmm. um, yeah so that's always been really good so our key worker um was our OT Mm-hmm. and she kind of advocated for us and helped us, especially when NDIS rolled out. Yeah. Um, she, you know, kind of, ex- even though it was new to her, she, you know, tried to explain it to us and that was really helpful. Yeah, it's a hard system to navigate. And for those of you yeah. who were transitioning um, from uh, the the old days when mm-hmm. uh, services were managed uh, a little differently to how they are now, but it sounds actually like, your experience was uh, similar to what families um, are choosing now in terms of having a key worker and having therapists yeah. come to their home. And uh, so certainly that that sort of service is available for families and some families are choosing that option. Mm. Yeah. But when the boys kind of started school, it was just, it was just a lot yes. to, um, to take on um, mm. with them being so exhausted at school and then having to do appointments after so we ended up kind of prioritising what we needed and OT was the one thing that we were finding really beneficial. Yeah. Um, so we we let go speech therapy and we continued with OT yeah. um, and we just do that fortnightly, um, just alternating the boys a Friday morning before school. Um, and this special school does actually have OT and speech if the, you know, the teachers and the curriculum believe that they need it. Yeah. So that's also a good backup as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Beck, it's interesting to hear your decision-making about that, about choosing, you know, what were the priorities um, given the busyness of life and given that you were having to now go to a clinic rather than have the therapists uh, come to your home. Yeah, well, I, yeah. like I've always kind of thought like it's it's great, the specialists and the OT and the speech and all that, but it's kind of it's just an hour out of a fortnight. So they really give you the tools to work with and they kind of, you know, work on the structure of what we should be doing and it's kind of up to us a lot at home as parents to kind of to push yeah. that and yeah they're not with us 24 7 so yeah. yeah yep you've it's a beautiful way of describing it Beck. and um as professionals we talk about this too you know we can we can come into a, a family's life for an hour a fortnight but it's not going to make a whole lot of difference if we're not exactly. um, working with families and learning about the strategies they're all already using that are working well yeah. and how we yeah. can build those up together yeah yeah, yeah. Beck, way back <laughs> earlier when we were talking you said that because you and your husband were young and that you were 
needing to learn as you went um, and you were needing to talk to professionals and learn from them and so on. Can we talk about that a little bit more? I'm, I'm wanting yep. to know how you went about learning what, mm -hmm. what, um, what you needed to learn at that early stage. Yeah, well, Google was our best friend. Okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, sometimes the doctor's lingo and all that, you kind of, it kind of goes in your brain and you think after I don't know what that even meant or, you know, everyone's different and some of them will be really good and explain things. Some of them, you know, not so much. So we definitely Googled a lot of things over the years, um, but it was really helpful having our OT who, you know, became like a really good friend to us um, because, you know, she was over so much because we had both boys. So it wasn't yes. just a fortnight, it was every week. Um, so this, sorry, can I just, this was the OT when they were little, she was your key worker. Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, okay. I didn't even know what a key worker was back then. I'll be honest. Yeah. I, like she was just the one that, that helped me kind of navigate everything. So yeah, she would always, you know, send me links of things or, you know, offer to come to the NDIS meetings with me or, you know, things like that, because I, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but yeah, no, we definitely Googled things. Um, our parents, especially my husband's parents, they're really quite um, intelligent people. And, and my father-in-law has been a pharmacist for many years. So he knows, you know, he, he's not a doctor, but he does know a lot. Um, and yeah, so we kind of just, you know, would rely on them, yeah. ask around. Um, yeah. And how, how, given that you were using Google a lot, how did you decipher what was um, good stuff on the internet and what was not such good stuff? Consistence. Um, you know, you don't just read one thing and then go by that. If you start seeing a pattern of the same kind of thing, then, you know, I find it's quite reliable. Um, but also, you know, if you have a feeling about something and you've kind of Googled around and you kind of present that to your specialist and say, look, you know, you don't want to be one of those people that's always saying, I think he has this because I read it. But, you know, just I've been reading about this. Do you think, you know, this has anything to do with it? Or, yeah. you know, just kind of back yourself a little bit. And I think yeah. a lot of the time it's parents' intuition. Like you, you kind of have a feeling like, you know, when Mason was diagnosed with ADHD, like you could see it, you know, like there's, there's things that you see in autism and, yeah. You know, it just made sense. Yeah. We it. yeah. Well, you'd, you'd taken him to the specialists because you had a hunch about what was going on. And yeah, like it, life is just too hard. It shouldn't have been that hard. Um, it shouldn't have been that hard to homeschool, yeah. um, which not saying it's not hard because, of course, it's hard, but it shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have been have, having almost a mental breakdown because it was just that hard because yeah. his behaviour was so out of control or, yeah. 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 Or, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't slept um, a full night in our house in almost eight years, you know, of him. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's, that was a big, you know, aha moment. Like he's yeah. got autism. Yep. Okay. That's why he's not a great sleeper. Um, yeah. It's not that we're doing wrong. It's just, this is just him. Um, and that's what's sometimes good about a diagnosis is sometimes mm. as a parent, you really doubt yourself or you second guess yourself and, and you take a lot of judgment on yourself. Um, so when you get a diagnosis, it's kind of a bit of a relief. Because, yeah. You know, I, I'd never been able to take Mason to the shops without both of us leaving in tears because it was just, it was, yeah, it was impossible. So now looking back, it's like, okay, I wasn't a bad mum. It was just, I, yeah, it's, it was too overwhelming for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, now that I know there's other ways about it, like to go around it. So yeah. 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 
So it was affirming that you were a good mum, you knew your boy. Um, oh, and I know I'm a good mum. Like it's yeah, just yeah. that voice that you get in your head when things yes. get too hard yeah. and it's just like, you you know, when you can't find an answer anywhere else, you kind of, you know, you go back to yourself, like what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's the way we behave as as humans, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everyone so blames I, themselves at one point during their life. Like it's just, uh, yeah, it's normal. But yeah, I think as parents we do a bit of it, don't we? Mm-hmm. But it sounds like that was such an affirming thing for you. You you kind of knew that he had autism and ADHD before you went yeah. to a specialist yeah. and you were needing that affirmed. Yeah. yeah. Did did that change how you manage things once you got the diagnosis? Yes. Um as horrible as it sounds, but it, it was more like, okay, this isn't his fault. He's not just being difficult. He's not saying horrible things, but his anger got so bad that it was getting quite dangerous. And he, he always has been quite violent when he has outbursts, like he will hit or, or slap, but it was just getting to the point where he's getting older, he's getting stronger, it's getting serious. Um, so we had to kind of, you know, find a psychologist um, to get on top of that. And when I rang around and I got, you know, everyone was booked up and this was before COVID even hit. This was early, I think, last year. And when I was getting people referring me to people and those people saying, look, that's too severe for me to take on, um, I'll give you this other number, that's when I was like, okay, this isn't, I'm not blowing this out of proportion. This is actually quite a serious situation. Um, So we went through quite a few psychologists and we saw a few different people and I think the Sims team at the hospital And then we finally found a really good one. And that's when, before the diagnosis, the conversation of medication came up. And medication has been something that has been brought up to me before that. And I kind of just brushed it off because I was like, that's, you know, that's a bit extreme. And this was, you know, back when I thought that it's me and I need to fix something. And, um, yeah, so then we had the talk of medication. And like most families, myself, my husband didn't see eye to eye on it. I had it explained to me one-on-one with the psychologist and she made me really understand that it's, you know, if you have a problem and there's a medication for it, say if you have depression, you know, there's antidepressants for that to help live with depression. And that's the same with, um, you know, like ADHD. Um, So that's what really kind of got me over the line. Um, And it's kind of in the way of having medication just to kind of, calm things down a little bit and then you can implement strategies and try and, you know, fix the behaviours that are happening that are dangerous but while he can actually comprehend it and really give it the best chance of working. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took my husband a little while to come around to it and I think it's very different from a parent's point of view of, you know, sometimes we're happy to take things ourselves but when it's going into our kid's body, it's, you know, you, you're hesitant and that was completely fair enough. So, Yes. So then it was explained to him and yeah, he was on board with it and it's definitely the best thing we've done. Um, It's taken a while to get to, and and we're still, it's still trial and error, but we definitely had ones that just didn't work for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Every kid's different. And some stories I've heard, you know, our medications worked amazing, but that same one didn't work for us. It made it worse. Um, But we're, yeah, we've found a really good combination at the moment that seems to be really working and, it, yeah, it changed our whole family dynamic hugely when that behaviour really settled down because it wasn't just affecting 
myself and, and my husband, it was actually, you know, affecting Caden as well, our oldest, because, you know, that was happening around him and in his home as well. And that's, mm. yeah, it affects everyone. So thanks for describing that to us, Beck. I think you've, you've really um, talked about this issue about how you make decisions about, you know, that's a big decision, isn't it? Yeah, when we're, we're, we're deciding how to best help our children, but you, you described that really nicely and how important it was for you to talk to the specialist, but also for your husband to, so mm -hmm. that you could make a decision together. <clears throat> I think the other thing I was hearing from you is about how individualised this is, that when we're mm -hmm. talking about things like medication or, or um, managing behaviours, that um, it's all individualised. There's not a yeah. one, one uh, thing that's right for yeah. all children and all families. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, you know, every everyone's body is different and will, you know, absorb medication differently. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But it sounds like it's helped him. And you said you, you've been changing quite a bit, so presumably you're monitoring that pretty carefully. And uh, is Caden on any medications for Caden? Um, was actually diagnosed with epilepsy last year, so oh. he had his first seizure in his sleep um, during uh, lockdown in September. Um, we didn't actually see it, but it was pretty clear to us what had happened just by the way he was acting when he came out of it. Um, so he had three seizures until we got a diagnosis. So he is on an epilepsy medication, yeah. which since starting it, he hasn't had one. So, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So it's yeah. being managed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. Gee, Beck, you've had a rough COVID time with uh, all of that going on with both of the boys with seeking diagnosis, with managing COVID schooling, lockdown, yeah. and yeah. and Caden getting ep epilepsy as well. Well, last year I was actually working in retail, so we shut down for lockdowns, um, hence why I was homeschooling. But this year I decided to change and I've become a, a support worker, a disability support worker. Uh -huh. So I'm now an essential worker. So they've actually been able to stay in school. It's not you know, the, the regular routine of their teachers and their friends, you know, it's just a few students um, that's parents are still working, but that's been something positive that they've actually been able to still get up and catch the school bus and go to school, you know, for yeah. the same hours a day. And I think that's really helped this time around Yeah, um, because yeah. kids with special needs, they need routine and so does every kid really, but yeah, it's the change in routine that really sets Mason off. So We've been lucky that we've been able to keep that. Yeah, that's that's great. I think you you're right. Um, we all typically feel more comfortable when we know what our routine is or exactly. what we're going to yeah. be doing during the day and the next day and so on. And that that's not different for children either, is it? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Oh, so you're a you're a support worker now. Is that um, yeah. through the NDIS? Yeah. So I um, support NDIS participants. Yeah. Yeah, great, great. Ah, oh, so a real shift in the work that you're doing. Yeah, I wish I did it sooner too. It's much more rewarding and, yeah, yeah. It's hours very rewarding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm, that's great. Beck, um, you have got such positivity when you're talking about your family and, and all that's way, been going but I'm glad on. that way. <laughs> <laughs> We've been hearing the good stuff today. Is there anything else you would like to share with people, Beck? Um, no, I just think it's really important to have a really good support network. Um, I've definitely got my own mental health issues that I've dealt with over the past, you know, 10 years. 
Um, I don't think with without my husband's support, I would have got through it. So having my husband just let me kind of take time when I need it, when things just get too much, that's what's really helped me. Um, and just having our parents, as I said, having someone who, you know, if, if it gets too hard, we say we just need a night off. They're more than happy to, you know, give us a night off. Um, yeah, I think it's environment. It's really yeah, important. Yeah, and support networks are, you know, it's all our, it's our friends and families that are the important support networks for us, isn't it? They're yeah. the ones that really kind of buffer all the, the hard stuff. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's what you're describing too. But you, you also described earlier that you had a, a great relationship with the OT, the key worker back in the yeah. early days yeah. and that you had you found a, I think you said something about I found a good psychologist and that that was really helpful more recently when you were looking for diagnosis. Yeah, and, that, and that's another thing is you're going to come across specialists and, and, you know, healthcare workers and things like that that just they're not the right fit or you don't feel comfortable with them. Yeah. Um, it's about being confident enough just to, to try it and then keep researching, um, find one that does fit and does feel better because there's, there's no point wasting time. Um, that good fit is what a lot of parents talk with me about, um, yeah. about wanting to find a good fit, someone they're comfortable with that they can trust. Um, yeah. 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 And it's good. It's, it's also important to see that your kid is comfortable and that, You'll, you'll quickly see that. I mean, if, if they're not comfortable, then it's you're not really going to get out of it what you need. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. It's been really fabulous hearing from you. And I, I really mean that. I love hearing your positivity. It's fantastic, Vic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. No worries. Thank you. Okay. Hearing Beck share her family story made me think about the changes that we all have in our lives and the ways we adapt to them. Beck talked about being a young mum who needed to adjust to being a parent. She also had to adjust to being the parent of a baby with significant health concerns. She told us that she used the internet to gather information and she talked with professionals that she trusted and talked through things with her family. She also talked about having them for emotional support as she moved from a position of uncertainty to having a clearer understanding. It seems she continued to use these resources to manage changes as the boys grew up, information and emotional support that helped her cope through challenging times. I really enjoyed hearing Beck talk with such love and enthusiasm about her boys. She enjoyed sharing what they were interested in, their individuality and how they were getting on in life. She followed up on their interests, like the singing, acting and dancing class and making YouTube clips. Beck was truly interested in what her children could do rather than focusing on any difficulties they were having with their learning and development. I think this was evident when she talked about seeking a diagnosis for her youngest son to better understand his behaviour and know what supports to put into place to help. This was contrasted with her comment about not seeking an autism assessment for her eldest son at this stage because she felt it wasn't going to affect how he was getting on or what supports they needed. They had things in place for him already and he's getting along well. Seeking a diagnosis had different implications for each of her sons and it might change over time. If you're worried about your child's development, and are unsure about how to go about getting an assessment, seeking diagnosis, or what supports are available, 
there's some really helpful information on the Raising Children Network. Talking with your maternal and child health nurse, child's teacher, or therapists if you're already accessing those services is a good place to start. Going to your GP and asking for a referral to a paediatrician is also a good next step. If you've found Beck's story interesting, uplifting, helpful, or insightful, share the link with other parents. Teachers and therapists can also find it helpful to learn about the broad range of parent experiences, so let them know about the Family Voices podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more of an understanding of what types of conversations are helpful to you. More information about the podcast can be found on ekiavik.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.